Hello and welcome to the Bits and Trees podcast. I'm your host, Matt Machuga. Thanks so much for your patience and support over our one-year hiatus. Between the pandemic and whatnot, I lost a lot of motivation, but I'm back in the game now. This episode, Andre Henry joins us again, along with Jeff Koenig from Auth0, to discuss whether product engineers should be operating their own infrastructure. This is Bits and Trees podcast, episode 11. So, so should we intro real quick at the start? Yeah, I think that'd be good. All Andre, right. Since you're the returning guest, why don't you go first? Hi, thanks for having me back. My name is Andre Henry. I'm an engineering manager at Venmo. Yay. Jeff. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jeff Koenig. Uh, I am a tech lead for the release management team at Auth0. Excellent. Now, what the hell were we talking about today? <laughs> <laughs> ah yes the overarching topic is if and how engineers should operate their own tech stacks um so coming from my perspective where like as an engineering manager at Alcira, we i have a team that um has largely operated their own infrastructure and we're not good at it um and then you know over time it transitioned away where the ops team has taken over but like We've all had discussions um, in one of our, our group channels where, um, you know, Kubernetes is always a hot topic with Andre. He's always got very strong opinions there. Um, and I've had strong opinions of whether we should or should not be operating the infrastructure based on our needs at the time. Um, since both of you have had way more experience in this area and you've seen how bad product engineers can goof stuff up, what are your thoughts on it? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's like a can of worms, man. Like it's it's early, but yes, you're right. I do have thoughts on that. Um, and and having would worked with both of you on on other projects before, where Jeff and I were kind of in charge of the infrastructure, you know, and and moving on to other places where it started off with an ops team and and migrated to where you know, management and leadership wanted individual teams to own their infrastructure. I, I have a lot of, of thoughts, right? I think the what we have to look at is why do people want that, right? Why do they think it's a good idea? And I think the, the prevailing wins is that it's a good idea because it lets you scale better, you know, faster delivery, no roadblocks, you know, all those things, you just get people out of the way and engineers can do what they want to do. Um, and then when you think about why is this not working in some places or why it works and why it doesn't work, I think it all comes down to scale, size, and like what you said, right? We're not good at it. I think, you know, software, software engineering has like multiple disciplines inside of it, right? You have the operators, DevOps, SRE, front-end, back-end, designers, project managers, right? And we all have our skills. And I think, you know, this, it, it, it all comes back to, we all have our skills. And it's like, well, what do you want to be good at? Now, there are ways where you can have engineering teams manage their own infrastructure, right? You could spend months or years developing the right systems with the right guardrails 
you know, I think the challenge is when do you do that? Does it make sense? And at what scale? And even so, like, if you're going to do all that, you might as well go to Heroku, right? <laughs> because let's Absolutely. face it, right? Like, when, when, remember when we used Heroku? How awesome was that? It was pretty awesome. It right? was awesome until it wasn't. Yes. <laughs> but exactly, right? Because any... When you say you want engineering teams to run their own operations, right? Even if you have a centralized platform team that builds the system and puts in appropriate guardrails, you're going to end back up with a very opinionated thing that works this way. And nobody's still going to be happy with it. Sure, you won't have a human in the middle anymore, but the product engineers are still now going to be constrained with this box that you've put them in, right? Because it can't be an unlimited box with every single option out there, then that, that's just impossible to develop and impossible to manage, right? And then also it's like, what, at what size team, what size org, what size company does it make sense to even start building a fully self-service system you know so i i mean I, I don't know i think like all systems are going to have a lot of opinions and rightfully so because if i'm building a self-service system for a group of engineers i don't have an unlimited team right i'm gonna have what four five people maybe if i'm lucky maybe one could just be me and jeff so we have <laughs> to make choices and once you start making choices, you might not have a human in the middle, but now you have a choice. And that opinion is your barrier. So, and then if individual teams start taking ownership, you know, depending on your industry, you might have each team now has to staff up, what, three, four, five operations, SRE DevOps, because people want to go on vacation. Somebody's going to get sick. You need a backup, right? So it, it's a complicated question. And I think a lot of people that, in my experience at least, a lot of people I've met that were like, oh, I want to do this. I should be able to do this. They've come from companies that have billion-dollar budgets, that have been in existence for tens of years with thousands of engineers that have evolved this system right it's not something you can build in six months i think it's also on the opposite side where people come from a very small company and they are on heroku and they're like yeah i spin mm -hmm. up my app put in the whatever the bootstrap bootstrap st startup script for heroku is build pack is that what it is build pack build yes pack. so yeah. you put in the build pack yeah. and then you're done right yeah um yeah i feel like put, when yep. When you start switching languages or you start switching, you're like, in this situation, I need this kind of tech stack. Then you're starting to run off on your own. You either have to enter that scary world or be blocked by the infra team that says, you know what? You are not ready to handle this yet. Don't don't try it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I think there are a lot of considerations when you start running your own tech stack fully on any individual team, right? Depending on your industry, you might have compliance 
security concerns, or everybody has security concerns, you will have varying degrees of compliance, um, management, bug fixes, billing. And if you're a small company trying to optimize usage, you know, and budget, right? Duplication of resources, right? Duplication of just infrastructure. And I think one of the things that we, we, we tend to miss sometimes is that everything we build has to be managed it has to be cared for it has to be fed you just don't build something and leave it you, you can't build it and walk away right so sure you might get version one out the door and it works but six months down the line you try to deploy to it again <laughs> assuming assuming the bug bounties or the hackers don't get you first right <laughs> yeah you, you gotta do it so i i mean i i understand the pain right i do i, I am not insensitive to the fact that when i want to do something i just want to build it code it configure it without waiting for anybody to do it but like that immediate gratification just that's that's tech debt i think too right there's there is tech debt it there might not be tech debt today when you deploy it but every software has tech debt 24 hours after it's deployed to prod <laughs> sounds accurate <laughs> yeah right like everything has tech debt 24 hours because some package is going to be updated with a bug fix. Your base OS image is going to have some program updated, right? Like it's just tech debt. You know, Amazon might decide to deprecate the service that you're now relying on. Like it, it's just, so I, I feel like, you know, unless here is the one way it might work, right? is if product owners and engineering leaders decide or realize or accept the fact that in order for a team to own everything from top to bottom, those rapid ship it times that you expect, they're going to go down. Yep. That, that's yep. it, right? I feel like a lot of people forgot forget that three-legged kind of stool thing that that you can use, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, you, you can't have your cake and eat it too. And I think a lot of people say that teams should own their infrastructure because it'll shorten one leg of that stool, but it then elongates another leg, right? Right. So. Jeff, you've had, yeah. a, you've had a lot of experience there where we've transitioned into that phase. Um, what has that been like on the receiving end of like, one of the teams who's responsible for the transition where you have to hear both the griping from us and the praise from us. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, probably smart to set up some foundational thing there is uh, we started off, uh, every team just owns their stuff ground up and there was some general guidance on, yes, you probably should be on AWS. Some people are still going to go on Heroku because, hey, they have all the problems solved. So it's quick and you don't have to solve every problem yourself. That's what every, everybody really wants. 
so then you end up finding that uh, people coming up with strategies to solve everything differently, uh, which then just makes the infrastructure as a whole, as you step back, many teams solving the same problem different ways. Now you can't describe the whole system. You can't have expectations about how one system works versus the other. They're all unique. They're all snowflakes. They're all pets. And that's no good. Uh, our first way of trying to solve that problem was say, let's make uh, components. Let's make everything a nice like black box component, but we'll still maintain that um, your, your engineers own their infrastructure, own all of the tools. We just provide them uh, building blocks for them to piece it together. Uh, that was kind of cool. Um, it, and it was a, a nifty design, uh, but then it still meant that service teams had to build things. They still had to take those components put them together in the way they wanted uh, and, and and do what they needed to do. Uh, but what you find is that leaves a lot of more variance. Uh, so you still really have the same problem is everybody does it a little bit different. Everybody solves this problem a bit different. And then it makes it very difficult to look at the system as a whole because now it's actually just a bunch of subsystems that are all very unique cultures, unique designs. Uh, and that's actually no good. Um, and then we solved it again in a whole different way. We said, no, people don't really want to build their own thing. They want it as a service. Uh, and I think this is kind of true. And the different, the, the thing, we solve it with, with abstraction, but what uh, abstraction actually forces us to do is to standardize. And so yes, abstraction is a thing, but standardization is what we really want. And that's like the golden goose here is, you look at all these services, they're all similar, but we solve a lot of problems differently. And those problems, if you ask any of those engineers, nobody cares how they solved it. It's the fact that it is solved. Uh, all of those different routes, uh, they have ups and downs, but after it's solved, you table that as, as, as tech debt if it needs a tweak, but it's actually not the most important thing anymore. Uh, and so the standardization allows us to then just say, hey, you're running a node service in AWS and the network looks like this. Well, you don't need all the toggles. Uh, you may, you find people will tell you what toggles they need and you'll, you'll add those, but you can roll out all of the other things that people don't need, all the extra cruft, all the extra things. Um, look at like uh, monitoring, right? So you see people with really cool monitoring services. They have Datadog and they have graphs, beautiful graphs to tell them everything and alerts to tell them everything. But if everybody has to implement that themselves, that is terrible. If yes. you implement it one as a template and copy and paste it, now everybody can can yes. win from that improvement. Yeah, yeah, definitely agreed. And I think you know you bring up an interesting point. You know, I think the the thing that's important with what you said is that you can't reason about the system as a whole, and those those differences now become where your system fails, right? If every service or every bit of infrastructure is implemented slightly differently, well, when you have to patch a security hole, how do you do it in a consistent format? How do you validate it in a consistent format? And I guess, you know, you know and, and unless service owners now start taking responsibility for the performance of their service and the reliability of their service then you still end up with this patchwork right and 
I don't think that that patchwork isn't any good for a growing organization. Uh, and it's not good for a small organization either. And that standardization is what's going to happen once you implement a system like Heroku or Cloud Foundry and you have opinions. And those opinions now become the standards. And that's what you, you have to live with, right? So, you know, I think, you know, what you said is offering things as a service makes sense, right? You want Redis? We offer these types of Redis services or s clusters as a service. You want small, medium, large. Take it. Uh, you need, I don't know, a load balancer. Here it is. Or you need to deploy your app. Here is an app cluster. Deploy your app here. All the ingress routing and load balancing have been provided. Just deploy your app to this cluster and that's it right? Oh, it doesn't work for you. Well, no problem. It doesn't work for you. It's now we need to analyze and figure out from a business perspective, why doesn't this work for you? If we're going to make something special for you, do we have a plan to maintain it, care for it, upgrade it? Is your team going to own that or is our team going to own that? Right? Because you know, and then at least you can have X percentage of your operations all under one roof. And the other percent that has to be different, it's going to be a clone of the standard setup, but only running this one thing for whatever reason that is, right? Unless it has to be something different, right? You minimize the differences because if you can't minimize those differences, Man, managing anything is is gonna be insane. Remember uh, at TTM, right? Um, we had all those environments, and what was my rule, man? Everybody runs the same AMI. Everybody has the same set of environment variables. That's it. If you can't tweak it in an environment variable, it, it, you can't do it, <laughs> right? <laughs> because like you just you can't that ensures so, that you have the same set of problems rather than yes, unique problems yes, for environment yes nobody nobody has time for a problem that only exists in one very yes, special place yes no. yeah like when when i patched something in that environment once i if you discovered something in one of the qa or test environments right i just roll that change either into the ami or one of the scripts or something and it was just the same everywhere else, right? And yep. I think that's, that's another interesting thing you, you mentioned too, Jeff, is that especially for like test and QA environments, right? Those should not be excluded. Those have to be the same. Yep. You know, they yep. gotta be the same. So, I don't know, man. Yep. I think... I, you know, I think it's, listen, AWS, Azure, Google, Kubernetes, they have awesome marketing, right? They do. It's like, take control, do what you want. But, you know, and they, they do provide you all the tools to standardize. But I don't know if those are like the primary selling points, right? <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. Like, the primary selling point is elastic scalability, configurability. But if you start having 10, 100 of those configs in each org, then you're like, oh, we. Stop the pain. Yeah. The the more control you have, the more slack you have to to get yourself into trouble. And it just depends on how much time you have, right? Yeah. If you... If you have all the money in the world and all the the people in the world to work on them, yeah, you can make up new problems, no problem. But if you're a startup, Heroku buys your way out of a whole lot of problems. You can just turn things up. And there's already, they basically already have a set of standards that is probably good enough for a lot of things until it's not. And then maybe you need more control. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I don't know, like, like I, we've heard Google uses Borg or some distributed thing, and all these places have standards. It's not a free for all. Like, you know, when you're pushing code at Google, Facebook, Twitter, whatever, they have standards. And it might seem like you're free and you can do whatever you want, but in reality, you're not, right? You're still within whatever constraints their environment gives you it's just that all the code that you're writing just plugs into stuff that's already there so for you it looks like you have the whole world but in reality the world is just that much bigger you you just haven't hit the edges yet um so when you transition or you go to another org where the world is much smaller you know you just have to adjust your your mindset because we have to realize that you know, Google and all those big companies, they've invested decades and thousands of man, millions of man hours into into their infra and, and their products. So to yeah. <clears throat> kind of tie this back to what you had mentioned before, like with the way standardization works and the way that a product engineer feels about it, where, yay, we're going to be able to go fast. We control our own infrastructure. And it ultimately turns into, oh, crap, we control our own infrastructure. That means our own patches and all that stuff. Um, I think a lot of what comes in the product engineering mindset after the initial like glee of being able to, we can deploy when we want, but not is realizing that none of those tools that um, an infrastructure team or a release team would set up for you are available. So you have to worry about the egress and the ingress. You have to worry about like, hey, are these ports open? Are these ports closed? What kind of networking do I need? Is the load balancer actually blocking traffic on these other things? Is it routing to my services? And there's a bunch of concerns there that we really shouldn't be making the decisions on. Um, yes. And that, that trickles down all throughout the company. So, you know, if we, let's say the standardization is there, um, I can now like one click install uh, a new service. Even that is a concern for the company because before we're spending money and it's hard to track. After that, it's very easy to spend money because I can just click and I can deploy a new yes. region. Then how do we track that? Where's the governance? Yeah, um, yeah I mean, it's, it's a trade-off, right? You, you might take time here, but you just convert that time to money over here. Mm-hmm. But, or you, 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 you chop off, the, you take out the middleman here and you convert it to security issues over here, right? Like, because there's a lot you have to communicate, right? Like, 
when you're used to like doing what you want, let's say you, I've seen it the most when people come from larger orgs, these big companies that have these kind of quasi self-service infrastructure and they come to these smaller places and they're like, oh, I just want to push out whatever I want and go da 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 da. And then I'm like, where is your authentication? They're like, what do you mean? Doesn't your Ingress router provide that? I'm like, no, what are we, Google? <laughs> <laughs> right? It's like, no, your service, you are now responsible for your own authentication, right? Right? If you're writing this service that's going to be exposed to the internet, I need to see your security plan, your this, your checks, how did you implement, da-da-da-da, where's your operational readiness plan? Like, you know, I think uh, <laughs> one of the, 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 the best things is that, you know, every, Amazon rolls out new services every month, just new things. And they're always new, they're always shiny, they're always exciting. Their UIs are always unique. Yes, <laughs> always unique UIs too. And it's like, you know, a product engineer is going to be like, oh, I want to use this new thing from Amazon, da 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 I'm like, all right, love it. It's going to make you go faster. Awesome, you get to use it. But wait, hold on though. Just just one quick thing. Um, could I please have an operational readiness plan for that service? Wait, what? Yeah, 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 yeah. What's your redundancy plan? What's your maintenance plan? What's your upgrade? What's your security? Uh, what's your alerting? And what's your monitoring? Once you give me that, you, you totally, you can go right ahead. And it's like, but... But uh, I'm just going to use Postgres. I'm like, that works. <laughs> yeah. Product like, engineers oh. <laughs> that ha have to write the software, they're not going to want to have to go through all that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. And you, that's, you, go ahead. That's, that's where your abstraction comes in, is if you want these tools, you have to have a good reason for it. And then another team solves all those problems that's good at knowing how to do an operational yes. plan. Yes, and I think, you know, and I think that's, that's one of these issues with these abstractions that we write. And it's like we bury all this knowledge in them, right? And yes, that's the purpose of them, to hide knowledge. But it can also be a double-edged sword because, you know, you walk into a place with this awesome abstraction that takes a uh, Ruby code and generates Terraform, which I've seen. Um, <laughs> and it's like, you know, you want to do something and now you're like, well, all of our infrastructure is written in this amazing thing, but it, you, you can't do this anymore with it. I'm like, oh, okay. But that's, that's, that's the other side of the coin, right? Like, like, Building an opinionated system also has limitations. And I think the question that we have to ask or that you have to consider is it's all a matter of trade-off, right? What is the trade-off between wrapping this thing up in multiple levels here, right? Like, sure, you, software engineers don't want to learn Terraform. Fine. No problem. Do you then write a DSL on top of Terraform? <laughs> right? So, and then this is the DSL that 
encapsulate, oh, well, all right, make sure that the right security groups are in, make sure this is there, load balancer has the right SGs, instances spin up with the right AMI, all that stuff, right? So that they don't have to worry about full Terraform. But, but the question is, is it they don't want to write Terraform or they don't want to write networking? Because that's the, the tricky part that people mistake is, yeah, you can abstract Terraform in dozens of ways, but you still have to put the networking together. You still yes. need your ingress, egress, yes. your load balancer, yeah. all that. Yes. What they really want is to get rid of all that. They don't want yes. to actually write Terraform. They don't want to write your abstractions. Yes. They want the networking done. Done. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah and, 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 you know, and you can't get rid of that, right? Like networking is the internet. Like, Sure, you know, it's got new names now like virtual private cloud and security groups and transit gateways and all that stuff. But networking is the internet. Sure, it might all be inside US East One, but <laughs> 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 it's still the same thing. You you can't you can't get around it, right? And you know, I've seen that these things are just these seams these opinions these abstractions they're just they're just the limits of all your system right because when you do this even even with the best of intentions when you do this you you code in the limits of your system and those limits might not be appropriately communicated out and you know so the 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 balance that we face is we know that, or not we know, we suspect that having every team, well, I know, I'll say we suspect <laughs> to be more <laughs> encompassing. <laughs> if, if this is a scientific conversation based in science, we follow the scientific method. We have a theory. The theory, or the hypothesis rather, is that if teams do their own infrastructure, we could end up with a hodgepodge of different systems where no two are alike, right? And then what we say is that if we don't like that, we could hypothetically wrap these systems in opinions and allow the teams to then select from a menu when they go to deploy or when they go to configure. However, the potential negative is, well, do I give you a bunch of Terraform modules and have you put them together? But now, is that any better? Not really, because are you going to control how they put the Terraform modules together? No. Mm -hmm. So then now, you have to now encode your opinions into the system of, uh, let's just use a DSL for whatever, um, to then configure your infra. And then now the question becomes, well, you've now wrapped the limits of your system in this opaque DSL, right? Are you going to produce enough document? And is it worth it versus the opposite opinion? It's just, let's just have an ops team with standard infrastructure minimal set of abstractions mm -hmm. and 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 go on and i think i i think it's a spectrum left to right you know negative 10 to positive 10 
to decide what's right for any one company. I don't know. I think there's a bunch of variables that go in to select that. So I'm not, you know, I'm not sure what just happened. I think we lost Jeff. Okay. He'll be back. All right. Yeah. And I'm not sure where the, uh, where the spectrum lies. You know, I, I, there's, as I said, there's a lot of variables that go into that. And it, it's, it's a difficult choice, right, for, for teams to make because, you know, we, we, we know the market moves fast. Um, there's always a limited window of opportunity to get your product out. And you just have to decide what's worth it to get your product out the door. And then once your product is out the door, you know, how are you growing and, and make an appropriate decision? But I, I think that it's going it, to, it probably comes back to just like an opinionated piece, an opinionated infrastructure, opinionated platform, right? Where you have rails. Now, I, I don't know if that means that teams configure infrastructure, at least low level infrastructure themselves. You know, they might just say, hey, send this route to this service. And that's, as far as they know, that configures a load balancer and everything. And it, it might not do any of those things. Right. <laughs> but that's how it appears, right? <laughs> and they might just be living on a giant shared cluster but as far as they know, when they deploy a service, this one route comes into them and miraculously there's a domain name and the port and an endpoint and like, oh yeah, it, it configures the load balancer and everything. And we're like, that's what you think. Little do <laughs> you know. <laughs> that's, that's the kind of abstraction at this point that I really appreciate where um, I, I don't need to care what is going on in the back. So... Yeah. For like a long time, I was very used to, okay, let's let's make sure everything is spun up right. Now let's get the security team to review it. Um, and these days, things are more simplified. And I can just say, I want my service to talk to this other service. And in the background, I don't care how it works. I don't even know. Most of the time, like yeah. if I talk to Jeff or someone, they can tell me how it works. But it's just, yeah. boom, the connection's made. There is a manifest file that um, like maybe we can select like, I don't know, the version of the runtime we want. And then yeah. I don't, like, if an AMI needs baked, I would prefer it be baked and not need to know about yeah. it. And I'll yeah. wait for the, the CI CD discussion for whenever Jeff pops mm -hmm. back on. But, like, there's a whole lot there. Yeah. And what I, what I greatly appreciate from ops teams is that there, there are two coherent systems and very distinct systems that need to work together very well. The product engineers are good at understanding the code level of the application, how everything strings together there. And the way I view ops teams is they're responsible for gluing together the actual system itself, not just the code, but how yes. the whole thing maps and is yes. shipped to the world. Yes. Yes. And I think that's, that is a different view of an ops team that makes sense versus, welcome back, Jeff. I'm back. That was fun. Yeah. Versus the kind of view that says ops teams should only provide blocks 
and it's up to the team to own the linkages and how you configure those blocks. Because I think in your view, Machuga, somebody is making sure that there is a consistent view, uh, a consistent way to manage and a consistent way to interface with the system and that the system looks the same, right? Complicated systems are insane. They have all sorts of weird behavior that it's going to be hard to pin down if, if it's just like this, this mismatch of, of things, right? And I think we also make our infrastructure more complicated too. I, I, and I know in, in theory, it's easier, especially now, right? With COVID, right? It's great that everybody can work from home, right? I'm sure teams that have like this fully distributed architecture, you know, it must be nice because your service there, but what would be interesting to understand is, you know, I'm sure that's great for everybody working at home during COVID and being fully distributed, but what is like, is there like a central ops team here? Like how, how has this new real, real distributed workforce, right? Adapted and mapped onto all these real, real distributed services that we have, right? I know it's Conway's law that says your code looks like your organization. So it'd be super interesting to see some of this. Oh, yeah. So, Jeff, we were um, we kind of started to touch on the CI and CD perspective of this. So the ops level is definitely um, one component of it. The release pipeline is kind of what ties together the, you know, take the developer. So, again, this misses out on some of what you missed there but the distinguishing trait was like the product engineers are good at understanding what the product code is supposed to do what the application level logic is and the ops team is responsible for understanding the whole system the way that the product is shipped as um, so for the ci cd portion you're kind of like what gates being able to ship the code into production um, what does that like, what do you feel like the responsibilities are or the abstractions are for the CI CD pipeline? Because before, um, you know, like if someone's like, hey, uh, set up this new repository, we're like, great, how do we do CI CD? Maybe some people are using Travis, some people are using Circle, some people are using Jenkins. And you come into a new company, you're like, which one are you using? They say, oh, whichever one you want. You're like, what the hell? <laughs> well, how do I how do I talk to the other things? Like, where are the secrets coming from? Um, you know, I'll let you run with that because I have no idea where I'm going with it. Yeah, well, yeah, you, you touch on a lot of things. Is, is uh, You have to have standards. You have to pick one of those. Um, and even picking one of those, you may be saying, uh, so new engineer, come, engineer comes in, they say, okay, what CI are we using? And we say, okay, we're using Jenkins or we're using Travis. Uh, but that's not even enough. You're now, uh, like, look, let, Jenkins is a great example, right? It is a Swiss army knife. You can do anything in it. And that's also the problem is there's now no standard. Essentially Jenkins provide no standard. If you want one, you have to create it. Uh, and what that means is everybody does it differently. Everybody has this feature, that feature. Um, maybe they don't even produce the same artifacts. Well, that's, that's terrible. If you don't even have the same artifacts, how are you supposed to have similar deployments or similar cadences or anything like that? Um, and 
I would say that there's very few actually like product engineers that uh, really want to dive into the specifics of CI/CD. They they want to ideally they want to work on the product, and you can spend forever working on CI/CD. Um, when a lot of that stuff, there's good decisions. Like um, one of the good decisions, the expectations that we came around to is. Uh, uh, any service should have unit tests and integration tests. And to prove it, they should also be creating J unit reports. It is the industry standard. Uh, I've had somebody ask me about like, oh, why do I need this? Because this is a good standard. Like this, I think if you ask anybody really, they should have tests and the test should be able to generate reports and any test um, package or whatever should be able to generate J unit reports. It's kind of like the expected thing. But you don't want to know all the details of that. Um, our RCI has basically says uh, it, there's a, a build, lint, unit, uh, integration, and then um, publishing. It's, that's basically the, the standard. And I would say that that applies pretty true. There, it fits almost everything. And if you have anything additional, a lot of people have like all these great ideas like, oh, we should add this to CI. CI, it's unique for this. Maybe I have like some weird thing I have to trigger over here, but that's a snowflake. That's not true CI. Instead, something like that should be like a subscription to CI. And that's kind of what we've we've done here yeah. is instead of giving you Jenkins, we say you're a service, provide us like these details, like who's the owning team? What's your Slack channel? Um, otherwise you're still a service and in, in our platform, we deploy Docker images. So you give it to us. It has to be in one of our standards. And let's say our standard is Node.js. Uh, we have we have a, oh, another language we use, but Node.js is the standard. So we know how to build that into a Docker container. We don't even let you control that because that adds more snowflake chances. Yes. And really, yeah, digging down into it, yeah, that's not a normal concern. Like you can get away with not having control over that. So mm -hmm. we generate you a Docker image for your Node service. We know all of these things. We can make sure you have a solid image uh solid support it, it's updated regularly so you get uh security fixes you don't have to worry about security fixes in Jeff, this case in where this are case. you i i love you so much <laughs> well so that this this is like the difference of what abstraction do you provide them yes do you give them aws or do you give them yeah. heroku yeah uh, you know uh if i get if i give a product engineer aws it's not a standard. There's no standards. It's tools. Yeah. It's it's yeah. it's the raw bolts. Uh, but Heroku, uh, it's it's with build packs. I say build packs probably give you the standards there, but yeah. something else provides that standards. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think you know, and then when you do something like that, then you know, I that those limits and and those uh those edges and those integration points of the system, you know, your team now understands that knowledge. They're not scattered everywhere where somebody has to be like, oh, I don't know, let's find this person, let's find this person. No, let's go to this team, right? Those things are together. And then you can have an overview about how all those things fit together. What, how, how do you take one of these artifacts and then get them running, right? Do you, do you all use shared infra in this model? Or does every team have their own infra? The teams don't need to care. Um, okay. So as part of the platform, 
Yes, that's the platform. They, the, the, the platform provides this, the tooling to get a Docker container, yeah. um, which they only contribute to with unit tests and integration yep. tests yep. And, yep. and the source code. Yep. Uh, a Docker container gets created um, and it gets deployed. The infrastructure is automatically provisioned. Yep. Another team cares about that. Um, and they get the right inputs to it. Yeah. So if... Yeah. Um, I got uh, it. Yeah. So if they need to disable it, we give them a, a button to press to say disable, right? Got it. But but they don't have to know that they got to go into a lot of scaling group right. and, and right. scale it down yeah. or anything like that. So I mean, you've you know you've kind of re-implemented a kind of platform as a service. Yes. As much as it makes sense for your organization, mm -hmm. right? Yep. And it's yep. that's good, right? Um, and and I think a, a lot of people want something like a platform as a service more than they want 100% control. Mm -hmm. And I think where I've seen things go awry is where people are like, yeah, we don't even want to maintain a platform. We just want to give the teams the ability to do that. And I'm like, I don't know. You have to maintain a platform, right? Somebody like, has to maintain. Somebody it. has to maintain the platform because if, if everybody maintains the platform, nobody maintains the platform, yeah. right? And the key differentiator here is you've taken, like in the example of CI, um, when if every team owns their own CI, even if it's like the same tool, but they don't still own the, the toggles in it, those are all what we would call it pets, yes. right? Each one yes. of those is a pet. Yes. So yes. What the abstraction and the platform gives us is it makes it, it we now have an abstraction that makes those pets cattle yes. each one of those can be thrown away yes. and it can come back right yeah, yeah. but we created a new pet and that's what's yes. important this abstraction is now our pet, pet. it's one yes. pet versus, versus the, yes i love that i love that yes so that is that true pet, that pet you have to care for it's yes. now like a pet that's responsible yes. for like a whole yes. farm yes no that is that that is that's like your sheepdog, right? Yeah, that's yeah. your sheepdog. I love it. Yeah. It's it's a Ooh, it's a dog. great model because you're right. Rather than having, you know, pets per team, there's one pet on the ops team, and that's it. You know, the result that pet multiplies. That pet does work, but it produces cattle. <laughs> that that's it, man. And I think. That's really a good kind of box boundaries to operate within because then now it's up to your team to decide how much work you all want to put in that thing and how much do you want it to hide, right? Even from your own team, right? You've already hidden a whole bunch of stuff from the product engineering teams. But now, how much do you want to hide from your own team, right? Then it's like, do you say, Joel, let's all get together and write this thing in, in Haskell or some language that then <laughs> abstracts everything away. We don't want to know anything, Joel. Give us a DSL to control our infra, right? But your team gets to make that choice and you can make that choice based on how much time y'all want to spend on it, what your business constraints are, 
And at least you go into that with your eyes wide open, knowing what it's going to take to do this versus what could happen is if every product engineering team is now responsible for this, you know that there's going to be one of these abstractions which are completely different for every single team as well. Because that's what product engineers do. That's what software <laughs> engineers do, right? They're like, oh man, I don't want to keep writing this thing over and over and over again. I'm just going to write a DSL for it. And that's, that's, what, that's what we do, right? So, and, and I think that's, that's a super important thing to consider and, and, and a really valid point. It's like one pet versus tons of pets, mm -hmm. right? So, but it's still a pet. You can't, it's still a pet. It, yes. If you don't maintain it, not yes. only does that pet go wild, yes. but so does the cattle. It's, it's yes. chasing. So. It, it has to be maintained. You know, even look at something as simple as if you're writing stuff in Jenkins and you're using the groovy DSL or whatever, you know, like you got to just keep, factoring that and refactoring it and taking out all the cruft and updating it pay attention to what techniques people are using to manage and maintain and write these things and you know because i remember when we did the migration from regular old jenkins to the uh the groovy pipelines plugin where you could write right. and like before that where was your jenkin configs all over the ui little boxes now you yank them out they're in they're in git and you check them in you can run tests against them so you gotta keep evolving and and maintaining that because i guarantee you if individual product teams are doing this it would not happen because we have to remember, right? What is the priority of a product team? Deliver code, make you money. So that's their priority. It's not necessarily their priority to make sure you have the best performing, best organized, you know, best maintained infra. Does the infra deliver code? Yes. Can users use it? Yes. Does, it, does the checkout button work? Yes. <laughs> that's it for them. They're good. Everything else, as long as it does the top three, I, I wouldn't say it's top of their mind. Now, Absolutely. there are some product engineers that do care about these other features, but to be fair, that's not necessarily their job full time, at least. And also that's a small number. And, and I'm not gonna fault any product engineer who's like, why, why do I need to know this? I'm not, right? Because if I recognize that it takes me a significant amount of time to learn all this stuff, right? I should acknowledge that it will take them a significant amount of time to learn all this stuff as well. Yeah. Right? And, like, and you got to think, why does that product engineer care so much about that, that piece? It's, it's typically, my experience, is they care because somebody else doesn't care, because nobody else is caring. They, yeah. they know enough to know that this isn't set up right, that it could be better. They don't, I wouldn't say that they necessarily want to be the person in charge of it. Maybe they yeah. do, but the point is, maybe nobody is in charge of it. Nobody's yes. doing that. And yeah. so, um, 
you know, good engineer wears multiple yeah, hats. Wears multiple hats. They'll jump in and, and fix that problem. But that also means they're not creating the product. They yes. they have to shift over and do something else. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, it, it'll be interesting, though, to see how many of the teams that went that more distributed fashion, did they scale up their teams to hire more operations-focused people? Or did the operations work just kind of when we get time for it, right? And of those teams, how many of them went backwards, right? Um, right after I gave my SRECon talk, uh, it was virtual. We we're all on SRECon Slack together. And somebody reached out to me and they're like, you know, we rolled out Kubernetes but it was a lot and we're undoing it because it just takes a lot to manage you know and my talk wasn't specifically on kubernetes it was more on like the types of complicated abstractions that we're exposed to even operational folks like us um are exposed to but you know you, you could read and say it was Kubernetes, which is a very complicated thing. And he was like, yeah, we, we had to undo it. Um, you know, like we, we've talked a little bit here about routing and, and requests and, and stuff. And I don't know if you all are familiar with the service meshes, Istio, Linkerd, you know, <laughs> the same thing has happened too, right? Like I had a conversation with a consulting company that specializes in, in, in Kubernetes. And, you know, one of the topics that came up was like another kind of routing abstraction, you know, like you mentioned Matruga, like you want your service to talk to the other ones and you don't want to know how it does it. Well, you could use the service mesh and the service mesh just handles it all for you. And this, this company, they were like, yeah, no, 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 we don't recommend it right now. They're like, just do it the hard way. I'm like, really? They're like, yeah, just, just do it the hard way. And the, this company, if they're recommending it, then, you know, so I think we're, we're also, the way we've done things have also changed a lot over the last couple of years. And I think we're still learning what all this stuff means. And we haven't gotten over the, oh, wow, this is so new. It solves all my problems. Everybody can go do what they want now phase, right? We, we, we haven't gotten to the more mature phase where we're like, oh, well, maybe this is gonna need some work first. So... You know. That'll be another abstraction on top of Kubernetes. <laughs> oh God, no! <laughs> Jeff, when when Kubernetes Jeff. is too hard, here's another. Jeff, do you do you know what that would even mean? Like, I think at that point we can legit say it's turtles all the way down. <laughs> like legit, no joke. But you're right though. A lot of teams have written. I don't even want to go there, man. <laughs> but a lot of teams have written like abstractions and things on top of it. And I'm like, yeah, you know, 
<laughs> I mean, I think it's now like, is a good time to point out that your talk name is It's a Trap, How Abstractions Have Failed Us. Yes, yes, exactly. It's a trap, right? Because it, it comes back to that, that same thing, which is you, you cannot change the length of one of those legs of the triangle without affecting something else right you, you, you gotta it's so i i think you know sure right we solve problems right we solve problems that's what we do and you know distributed infra to individual teams solves a problem you know having a centralized ops team solves a problem but we're good at solving problems i don't know how good we are at understanding, at least generally, at understanding the long-term pros and cons and the trade-offs in, in each of those things. It seems as if, you know, we're really great at knowing what's going to give us instant short-term gratification. But I think as humans on everything, look at COVID, we really suck understanding the long-term implications of some of the things we do yeah absolutely but the, the only way to figure that out is time and experience <laughs> so yeah we write these abstractions that enable us to move way faster over here and then this sits here for a little while and eventually we're like hey maybe that abstraction is terrible but that's okay like we'll learn that we'll know what better might look mm -hmm. like we got to just make sure we throw that layer out or, or, you know, don't put another layer on top <laughs> or consider, consider how you're, you're going to make the next change. Mm -hmm. Maybe you throw that out. Maybe yes. you just improve yeah. that same thing, but yeah. make the right change. So one thing that I think a lot of teams try to get away with is having less conversations. So they're like, if we don't yes. need the central team, then I can just make all the own yes. decisions about my infrastructure. But then they look yes. at the infrastructure and they realize they don't know how to administer the infrastructure. Yes. So they need to go talk to more teams in a more distributed way because yes. the handheld package yes. is no longer available to them. Yes. So yes. I think not being afraid to have conversations as an organization and as an industry yes. about what is working, what's failing, what we need, yeah. and then giving that team time to respond I think that solves a lot more problems than we solve by trying to make a quick solution like, hey, knee jerk, let's eject from the platform and do our own thing. I wonder if anybody has ever thought about people over process before. I wonder. That, that sounds familiar. <laughs> it does sound familiar. I, I think there's this thing called the Agile Manifesto and these XP people that said that, but uh, I don't know if they know what they're talking about. <laughs> Some guy knocked on my door selling that. He said, you come to this meeting and pay me $300, you'll be an agile pro. They didn't say anything about the manifesto though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's crazy how that just popped out of, of this discussion though, right? It's like people over process. And, and that's really, that's wild. Yeah, 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 no, that, that manifesto is still accurate today. Yeah. Is, uh, you know, our biggest problems uh, usually are solved by communication or the, yeah. the, the problems that come out from lack of communication. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, I, and you're right. Like a lot of these things is just people feel that communicating takes too much time. 
<laughs> right? Uh, I don't want to explain what I'm doing to security or operations or infra or the platform team. I just want to do it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Or like, hey, <laughs> what if they say no? your problems. Yes. <laughs> They'll right? say no that to my problem. Really... Well, maybe yeah. they should be saying no. Maybe there's something <laughs> wrong with it. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, not talking doesn't solve your problem. But, uh, okay. Mm-hmm. But See? instead of no, we should be saying, well, what about this? <laughs> and this thing might be the proven thing that yeah. should be a standard is that we've done it this way a hundred times and we know that it works. It works pretty well. Rather than trying to invent a new thing, why don't you try the standard? Right. Yeah. Or at least, like, you know, if a solution's not available, right? If you're talking to the teams who specialize in keeping a company safe or in making sure the infrastructure is rock solid, it's like, hey, I have this edge case. What can we do to get it supported? Sometimes that might be, hey, this way works. It'll be more expensive for a few months, but we'll get it supported. Or it might be, use this other way. It's not as great. You don't have the tooling that you would normally experience, but if you're okay accepting the risk, go for it. There's all these trade-offs that we can make inside an organization. And I think just the engineering nature is like, well, the computer is better at doing these things than I am. So I'm just going to let systems <laughs> solve everything for me rather than being human and having the conversations. You know, that that statement that you just made just kind of encapsulates so many problems our industry has. Right? <laughs> it's like, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to figure out this hard thing. I'm going to let a system do it. Like... <laughs> that's what we did with ML and look where that's gotten us. It's just <laughs> Well that's computers from the ground up. The whole reason is because these things are hard <laughs> and the computer can do it better. We just gotta tell oh, it how. No. Oh no. Oh, man. <laughs> so uh, the the official conclusion of this <laughs> this 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 discussion is that we're all doomed. <laughs> because if if all computers are broken and we're relying on all computers to do all the things, then it's just do. <laughs> wow. Oh, well, man. On that cheery topic, um, Andre, can you give us a little bit of background? Because your, um, your talk was a keynote, wasn't it, at SRECon? Yes, yes. It was the closing plenary session at SRECon. Um, the talk was titled, It's a Trap, How Our Abstractions Have Failed Us. And it was just, you know, I think I've given bits and pieces of that talk in different forums focusing on different things. And it was more about, you know, sure, it's great we have all these abstractions that we use, Kubernetes, random DSLs we write, all, all these things, you know, Jenkins, scripts, everything. And it's like, but have we thought about how they really work? What are the drawbacks of using them? What have we lost by using these abstractions, right? And, and who are the beneficiaries or the people that suffer? Suffer might be a harsh word because we're all tech people here. It's like not really much suffering. But, you know, what, have, what problems have they caused, rather? And... You know, some of the things I highlighted, it was, well, you know, as, as I've said on this talk, this, this conversation here is that, um, you know, those abstractions, they're going to encode 
limits and knowledge of your system, right? And if you don't appropriately document those things and share them around, that's those limits are where your system can fail, right? If nobody knows about them and everybody's swimming along with this abstraction and all of a sudden you hit one of those limits, that's a failure point, right? So it's great to use them, but you, you gotta make sure you write the appropriate documentation and you gotta make sure those, that documentation talks about what's hidden in this abstraction, right? And then the other thing you have to think about is like, okay, everybody moves on. Jeff, Machuga, Andre, we all move on. We leave this fancy abstraction behind. That now becomes somebody else's broken code, right? And, and like Jeff has said, that abstraction is now a pet, right? There's no way to make it cattle. Right, it's now a pet, and is that gonna? Gr Do you have a plan to grow, mature, update, and maintain that with the business? Right, as the business grows and wants to do more things, that abstraction also has to grow and be able to do all the things the business wants to do. And without a plan and active maintenance, it's broken code, right? Like. We've all been in the situation where you start a new gig and you get in and you're trying to do some work and it's like, yeah, the framework we're using doesn't really support this. So we've been trying to figure out how to implement or fix this bug for the last year. And when the real solution is, you know, you just gotta either rewrite the framework, upgrade the framework, just fix it. Right, um, uh, five shard database. Anybody? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, and and that's that's really it, right? And there's a lot of things that abstractions hide from us. Security concerns, right? Like, you know, a good one is sure you have an abstraction that spins up stuff. Is the security properly configured? How do you know? And okay, so it might have been properly configured six months ago. Like, is it properly configured now? Because, you know, those things are not, are not static, right? They're just, they're just not static. Um, so yeah, that's, that was really the, the gist of the talk. So, you know, and I think I gave, <laughs> I gave a bit of this talk at Eerie Day of Code. It was called So You Want to Deploy That at Eerie Day of Code. I think that was like the second or the first Eerie Day of Code. And then I think um, at DevOps Days Philadelphia a couple of years ago, I gave a lightning talk called like, why, why, why? <laughs> and it was about, you know, why are you doing this? Like, why is this thus? Right? Do you even know why you're doing this thing that you do, right? And, you know, I, I had, I got the opportunity to combine all those things into a talk for SRE Con, which is on YouTube. So I'll, I'll send you the link. You can put it in the show notes. Yep, absolutely. That'll be yeah. fun for everyone. They get more of this discussion in a formal setting. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and I the thing I you know I don't I don't want to 
I don't want to come off as I'm making, I'm picking on anybody's one tool. Um, and because, you know, I think we all have this problem. You know, I think, you know, back in 2009, I was doing like .NET work and everything was about clean code and interfaces everywhere. And you just have piles of interfaces for things that get used once. So this thing is not limited to our particular domain, right? It's a, it's a general tech thing because that's what we do, right? Hey, you know, wiring flipping switches and bits is too hard. Let's write assembly language. Ah, I don't want to do that. Let's write C. Oh my God. <laughs> okay, C is, oh, C is crazy. Let's write more things. Or we don't have operating systems. Like, those things are all good, right? Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that all abstractions are bad. Those things are, those things are, are, are good. And you need some of them so we can make progress because they do save time. But, you know, from what I hear, the GCC code base is just not a pleasant thing to look at. I, I, I like what you said about uh, having to document the abstractions and that uh, you're not going to be the maintainer of it forever. Eventually, you'll go on to your next thing and then somebody else becomes the maintainer. Uh, so things start getting lost over time. Um, and considering that um, we're saying abstractions is a set of standardizations, you can make those standardizations because at that point in time, you understand the problem as a whole and you understand a couple of right ways to do it and a couple of wrong ways to do it. And you've decided this one for today is the best. You've made a standard and you encode that standard with an abstraction. But what happens is all, you have all of this knowledge in your head and you create an abstraction, but that knowledge is only in your head. Yes. You need to, you know, document what is the standardization here? Why is this one over that one? So that it can last a little bit longer is, yeah. uh, because the next guy is going to see this abstraction. He knows that it, it takes this layer, but if he doesn't know why he's going to create a new standard, and 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 lose all the knowledge of why like the standard that was being used was yeah. chosen so he, yeah. it's it's going to be difficult to find the next better standard yeah um yeah. so documenting the reason the purpose what is this yes. abstraction for what does it give us yeah. uh as well as the limits but i think the limits can change and even oh. the standardization underneath of it can change of course. but project forward what is the goal of the abstraction yeah. why did i write this and why did i write it like this yeah, um, yeah, I think that's pretty useful. Yeah, and and just you know, recognize that as you said, it's a pet, and yeah. you gotta, you can't walk away from it. You just, you can't, right? Especially when it's something you're using to run your business, you, you cannot walk away from it, right? It's like you know, you know, like ev everything changes, you know. Early versions of Puppet are not the same as newer versions of Puppet. The language is completely different or has matured. And if you don't take that active step to keep your code upgraded, all of a sudden you're like, oh, I can't go beyond this version of Puppet unless I now have a massive project to rewrite a thousand lines of Puppet, which is not really a lot, but yes. 
right? <laughs> but you, you get the point. And it's the same thing, right? Like, look at Python, right? Python 2 to 3. Did you manage your Python code and update it and heed all the deprecation warnings and all that good stuff? If not, you know, you're, you're now doing a... Ma like, I think Python 2 went EOL, what, a year ago now-ish, right? It's been a bit. So, yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah, so I mean, everything. And I think, you know, we're all about the instant gratification. It works, the checkout button works, next. Ooh, shiny thing. But, you know, and I don't know if it's, our industry does kind of encourage a little bit of this, right? Like. If you're not on the new shiny, we think you're not worth anything much. So, which is which is crazy. That's you know that's that's a fault, right? Um, you know, so yeah, we we've got work to do. Indeed, we do. Um, yeah. All right, so just to kind of end the conversation. Um, both of you are active at various times, either with uh, giving talks or uh, writing things on the interwebs. Um, where can people like kind of keep up to date on what you're putting out there? I am primarily on Twitter. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Seven Grok. Uh, same here. Twitter's probably the best way. Uh, my <clears throat> mine's just my name at Jeff Koenig. Jeff, All you right. used to give a lot of talks, didn't you? Then it's not recently, or ah, uh, kids. Uh, yes. So kids. yeah, I used to give some talks, uh, but kids happened. Uh, I need to uh, time manage a bit better and get back out. All right, gents, it was a pleasure. It's been fun, indeed.